email me? Um, when people, I've written an email and signed off on the bottom with my full name, shortened my name to Sam. So like you sign Samantha and then yeah. they go, hey Sam. Yeah, because I tend to use Samantha when I don't know the person or like professionally. Mm-hmm. Until I like know people, and then I hate when people just assume that they can shorten your name. Yeah, like I get a similar thing, but it's more in person. Instead of calling me Indrajit or Indy, people will call me like Muhammad, and then just because they're like, I met a brown guy once, isn't wasn't that you? And I'm like, no, that's that wasn't me. Oh, <laughs> so it's same but different. Same but different. I feel like bad for complaining. You <laughs> <laughs> like one up to my story. It's it's definitely just like a mild annoyance, but it's still it's like presumptuous. It's on presumptuous, there. and it's people taking liberties that I haven't like given them. Now that we solved that, <laughs> welcome to a very romantic episode of. I love this. You should too. Um, I could tell that this is going to be a romantic episode because of that romantic talk we just had. Yeah. <laughs> and that person you hear is my co-host, Samantha, don't call me Sammy, he's, and I am indeed. don't call me Muhammad, <laughs> Randawa. Oh, perfect. <laughs> now that everyone knows what not to call us. Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about the movie Before Sunrise from 1995. And boy, okay. does it look like 1995. It does. <laughs> the fashion, the hair, everything is just very 1995. And I don't think it's just because I'm basing it on this movie. If you asked me, well, what do two young 20-somethings wear in 1995? I would say the exact outfits that we see in this. Yeah, it's definitely a certain time period, and it's very evident, because a lot of these things were very trendy, so things that are very trendy don't stick around for, like, multiple years. Usually it's like a summer where Except you look like that. guys in university trying to look like James Dean. That happens <laughs> all the time. Still happening Still today. <laughs> well, I brought this movie to you after having not seen it in many, many years, thinking that I loved it because I saw it when I was 18 and loved it then. So, Samantha, for this romantic pick for just after Valentine's Day, I loved it. Did you? I think it was a very nice movie. Very nice movie. I don't know that I loved it, but um, it was definitely got me swept up and I was into the romance. Samantha into the romance. He's that's, that's my name. Yeah, <laughs> Indy, you saw this movie when you were eighteen. You are no longer eighteen. Boy, am I not? <laughs> do you still love this movie? I think I do. Okay. At the beginning, I was worried because it's kind of cringy and awkward at the beginning for a lot of it and mm. i was like oh no what did i get myself into i thought this was such a romantic story and it's just weird and as the movie goes on i think i was proven right in loving it and those awkward moments were very intentional about this guy who's going out of his way trying to look impressive and failing early mm -hmm. on but then once the characters both uh open up show some vulnerabil vulnerabilities we get to see the the romance blossom and i think the story uh, really holds together in the end yeah. and i get that this movie it's not gonna be one of one of my 10 out of 10 love it's but it's it's so good and there's so few things like it 
And yeah, it is a kind of experimental film, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a pretentious art film. No, it was a very comfortable art film. Yeah. If you, do you understand what I mean? I, I do. That? It's very calming and soothing and like, like I felt like it was carrying me along it at a very comfortable pace. Yeah, there's no agenda to this movie. Mm -mm. It doesn't have a point that it's trying to make. It's not trying to manipulate you as an audience. There's no breakups and makeups. There's mm -hmm. no melodrama or shootouts or even sex scenes. Yeah. It's just two people talking. Yeah. And I know that might sound terrible to many of you. And maybe many of you watched it and didn't think it was terrible. But <laughs> I think there's a, a really simple beauty in this film. Yeah, for sure. It was a very beautiful film to watch, too, because you get to see this European city. And it's just very cool to see all that kind of thing. At the very beginning, we get some shots of Vienna, and again at the very end, but you don't get kind of the glamorous shots uh, showing off the no. town. It's a very subtly directed movie. Mm -hmm. It's mostly living in the two shot, so it's just two people talking on screen with occasional cut-ins for close-ups, but there's not much more to it. It's not a terribly dynamic movie visually. Mm-hmm. I like the way that they shot it because it's reminiscent of a place you've been because it's not like Vienna and all the important things you see in Vienna when you go there. It felt a little bit like like Paris is a big city in Europe that I've been to and it felt like kind of the back streets of that. So it felt like somewhere I'd already been. Yeah, so I guess you did have a comfortable time with this movie. Yeah. It sounds bad when I say comfortable, but I mean it in the best way. Along with the direction being pretty subtle, there is no score in this movie outside of the first and last five minutes of it. Mm. All of the other music comes from within it, so they are listening in the sound booth or they're hearing the harpsichord on the street. It's just another part of Linklater, the director, not telling you what to think. He's just kind of putting you on this journey. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the uh, feasibility of this. Okay. I think this might be an episode where we talk much less about formal film stuff and more stories from our past and failed romances and things like that. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready. It's a because good Valentine's Day episode. That's the type of movie this is, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's that's another thing that's very comfortable about it is I feel like everybody's had this um, exciting moment with someone that you are just getting to know. I know when I saw it and talked to people about it way back then, many people were like, well, I just couldn't get into it because like, you don't just meet someone and then go spend the day with them. That's not realistic. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I feel like the majority of my relationship started like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we met. Yeah, ours was pretty normal because it was at a, at a Halloween party. Yeah. So that's like a normal situation. But I, I've totally have met someone on a train in a foreign country really? and then yeah i think oh. i told you that story it's happened more than once <laughs> you have a thing <laughs> <laughs> well i i traveled a lot growing up or not growing up once i was grown up <laughs> i traveled a lot and i was usually traveling alone and you meet people when you travel alone because i just like chatting with everyone yeah absolutely absolutely and you just strike up a conversation and then spend the 24 hours with them yeah or a week or whatever it is yeah i've never done that before 
I was going to say, oh, you should, but no, your, your, your time has passed. You're not allowed <laughs> My to time has passed now. <laughs> I am no longer allowed to just meet random people on trains and make out with them in a field. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. It's also probably more awkward when you're in your 30s. I think so. I think so. And I think that people are a little bit more alone. People are more alone. Huh. <laughs> just like generally, you think people are more lonely now? I no, I just mean like as you get older, you get more comfortable being alone, and you don't need to like fill all the silences. And oh, sure, yeah, maybe like you're you're traveling alone. It's actually kind of nice to have that solitude, right? Whereas when I was younger, um, you maybe you just like want to talk to people because you don't know how to just like be. Right. I think a lot of it also is when you're older, you're probably more guarded. Mm-hmm. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, let's get off the train and spend the day in Vienna. You'd be like, no, thank you, serial killer. (laughs) Yes, exactly. With all my true crime knowledge that I've gained in the last, like, five years, I think I would not be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) 18-year-old Sam might have, though. Yeah. Definitely running through the streets of whatever city you're in seems like a young person thing. Man, I sound ancient. (laughs) It's a young person (laughs) thing. It's a young person thing. So then did this situation seem fine to you? It didn't seem put you out that it seemed crazy to do this? No, um, this situation definitely seemed like something um, that could happen. And while I in my brain would be like, is he going to murder me? (laughs) Who knows that I'm here? This is also time without cell phones. So it's not even like you could just like send your best friend a pin of where you are. Right. so that was going through my head. If I was the person in Celine's shoes, I think I'd be a little bit more wary. But I understand that, like, wistful romance that she seems to feel. Do you find that there's a comfort in talking to people you don't know? And especially people that you think that you're not going to see again? Or has that not come up too much to you? I don't think that's come up too much for me. You and I have had very different, like... 20s very yes like very different 20s so so i think that 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 changes kind of how we both experience those things yeah i've had so many situations where i'm even just like a friend you meet that you're hanging out for that weekend or for that day or something Mm -hmm. and then you're like well we're both going to different countries tomorrow so we're never going to see each other again (laughs) but i think there is like a certain freedom Maybe other people get it when they're uh, speaking anonymously, if you're like on the internet or something. You Mm -hmm. can be more honest when people don't know you, they don't have any preconceptions about you. Yeah. I love that when you meet someone and you can talk more openly with someone that you've had like a a casual friendship with and you're building upon that, Mm -hmm. you're almost more guarded than you would be with someone that you've that is a complete stranger. Yeah, I think that this, with the no strings attached and the no future plans, it would definitely be way easier to talk to a stranger. I know that before we met, internet dating was what I was trying to do. And the idea of going and talking to someone with all of that, like, expectation and, like, kind of side you know, knowledge that, like, we're going out for drinks because, like, we're trying to see if we could date. Like, there's so much expectation there mm-hmm. that it's totally different than just, like, chatting someone up on a on a train. Because you're not like, I'm looking for a partner. <laughs> I remember early on 
probably like dates two and three with you, I would say things like, isn't this the best part? Because we know nothing about each other. <laughs> and you were like, no, that's so like frightening and awkward. It's like, no, you, you're missing the beauty of this opportunity. You and I will never be like this again. <laughs> Is, like, isn't that amazing? And you're just like, no, weirdo. <laughs> in I my remember notes, that very well. In my notes, I just said he sounds like indie. Um, oh, <laughs> I don't. That doesn't sound good because he sounds like a dick a lot of the time. No, 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 no. I just meant like the way he quotes like literature and stuff. Not and, in like not when he sounds like a dick because he does sound like a pompous asshole sometimes. Yes, definitely. But it just the way that he speaks and thinks it reminded me of you. Yeah, and. I hate that I hate that. Why is it that if you talk in uh, pop culture references and you're like, hey, remember this episode of TV last night? People are like, oh, yeah, that's all right. But if you're slightly more academic or esoteric, then you're pretentious. It's just just the same. Mm -hmm. Just different subject matter. Yeah. 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 If someone knows all of the stats for a football team, then they're just like, that's just a bro. But if you're like, oh, yes, I believe it was Nietzsche who said, oh my then God. you're a dick. See, look, you even went like, oh, my God. I did. Uh, and but that if I'm was like, like hey, totally... Tom Brady's going for a record number Super Bowl, you're like, okay, that's a normal thing to say. <laughs> the funny part is that you say both of those like equally. Well, Tom Brady's very impressive, even <laughs> if I'm not a fan. The, the, the longevity and the time he's remained like really an excellent quarterback not even just a serviceable like game management guy but i digress <laughs> <laughs> hey save it for your sports podcast sportsing with indy oh sporting it up <laughs> yeah i think though getting back to what we were saying i love that about this movie that they are at that point when you're kind of new and going out into the world and you crave these types of conversations mm -hmm. you think like yeah nobody's ever thought these things before i'm special we're having such a great conversation and now i feel like if i actually have these types of thoughts you can't really say that because people are like oh that's pretentious but <laughs> yeah it, it is odd what we define as pretentious and why when it's okay and when it's not yeah i think it also has a bit to do with like attitude mm -hmm. like for sure like if you're quoting nietzsche and you're like well, you know, like, I understand this. Let me explain it to you. As opposed to like, oh, have you read this? Like, book, it's about this. Yeah. It's all about how you Like approach. Pablo Torre. I just want to be like Pablo Torre. I don't know who Pablo, Pablo Torre, Torre is. I believe he has a, um, I think it's an anthropology PhD from Harvard, but he's a sportscaster. Oh, okay. So you told me about him. Yeah, he talks sports, but then actually he did reference Nietzsche in the last one. <laughs> And he was talking about, like, what a true existential crisis is. And he was talking right. about uh, a college football coach and he compared it to Nietzsche. And yeah. That's my boy, Pablo Torre. That's, that's my sweet spot. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sportsing and philosophizing. Yeah. He'll be my co-host. That would be a good show. That I'd would. listen to that. All right. Maybe we should talk more about this movie. <laughs> what movie? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Jesse and his bullshit. Because in the first quarter, were you rolling your eyes at him all the time, or is that just me? A little bit. A little bit here and there, for sure. Um, but also, I, I mean... But also, he's dreamy? Is he a little dreamy? Eh, he, I could see how you would be drawn into that. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's not like your uh, 
super handsome guy, but when you're on a train, you're walking through the streets of Vienna, and you got this, like, greasy American guy, and she even says, like, oh, his hair is greasy, but I like it. (laughs) He has an appeal. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely a type and a specific time where that is, like, appealing. Right, right. He's your Jordan Catalano, who's a modern Jordan Catalano. That's from My So-Called Life. Jess from Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. Right? Like, that's Not the always what you want, but sometimes it's exactly what He's you want. He's more pretentious than Yes. Jess. Oh, for sure. Uh, but again, this is not a Gilmore Girls podcast. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the beginning... I do roll my eyes at him. I did cringe a lot for what he's talking about. But as it went on, I realized that he's trying to impress Celine and mm-hmm. he's not doing a great job. He's no. wanting to sound worldly and knowledgeable because he fears that he's this uh, boorish American that she's talking about that mm-hmm. only speaks the one language. And she seems to him like this uh, like elite Parisian woman that he's trying to like be on her level and right the more he tries the worse it sounds yes yeah the more he tries the harder it sounds like he's trying like there's that scene with the fortune teller which i found kind of hard to watch almost because he's saying like oh this is garbage you don't believe this do you and i also don't believe it but i felt like he was being a dick about it (laughs) right And I was going to leave it at that, but then she calls him out on it later, saying, like, well, that was really unattractive or whatever, how you were dismissive of her. Yeah. And I felt that. And I think it is at that point where he is acting like, I'm sure so many early 20s people are, where you're more concerned about being right than about being nice. Yeah. And I think that's him at first. But... There was a moment, I think it's not until their fake phone calls. Do you remember that scene? Where she says, oh, I'm going to call my friend in Paris. And she lets him know all of these things. She puts it out there. And she does first. She said, well, I kind of knew from the start that I wanted to talk to him more. And then when he does the same thing, he lets his guard down and he stops trying to impress and he's honest and forthright. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where the tone of the movie changes. And it's much less awkward after that and much more of the romantic story that we were uh, wanting out of this movie. Right. And she even says at one point that she knew... She fell for him when he told the story about seeing the grandmother's ghost. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was such a sweet moment, especially because they were both so wrapped up in that story. Yeah, and it's very early on in the movie, but that was him being completely vulnerable Mm -hmm. and not worrying about what people think, not saying like, oh yeah, but I don't believe in ghosts and that kind of stuff. (laughs) He just said... I've never seen anything like that since, but it still, like, is with me. Mm-hmm. And that's what wins her over. And I think that's kind of uh, at the heart of this movie is that through all of these meandering conversations as uh, lofty as some of their ideas might be, it's those little moments of vulnerability and of shared vulnerability that, mm. that bring these two people together. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, man. <laughs> Well, usually whenever someone says, whoa, man, it's about uh, the nature of time. Do you want to talk about the nature of time? In this movie? Yeah. Is it a flat circle? Well, it is, but I don't think that's uh, (laughs) at 
play here. Oh, okay. Please tell me more about time. <laughs> well, in the in the title, first of all, it's before sunrise, so we know how long this movie is lasting. So there's a yeah. certain sense of immediacy, like yeah. you know that it's going to end at uh, before nine o'clock when he has to get on that train, or that's when his flight is, or whatever right. it is. So we think we know what's going to happen or at least we have our hopes that we've been conditioned to want from all sorts of other romantic movies like we need a big kiss in front of a big monument and Mm -hmm. we need a sad farewell and all of those kinds of things or they forget it and they're going to run off together like we know whatever happens it has to happen in this timeline and i think that's kind of uh mirroring the immediacy of romance when you're at that age right everything's like now 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 yeah you're not planning for 30 years in the future you're planning for that moment so, so often right yeah yeah and you have no idea what your future is going to be like so why live for some other time but we never know what our future is going to be like samantha no but i think as adults you get better at planning <laughs> true you get better at guessing yeah you get better at guessing and assuming that there's going to be something there and then just the idea of the night versus the day because if this movie were called before sunset it would be a very different movie Mm -hmm. if it's all taking place in the daytime it's it's just not the same i don't know about your uh globe trotting romantic adventures (laughs) but in in globe trotting or not there is a certain idea that things at night are not as they are in the in the day yeah like what's the line What's so special in the moonlight in the morning won't exist. Was that in the movie? No. Okay. I was like, did I miss like a whole thing? Um, Yeah, I don't know that I've had like a crazy thing like that, but I've definitely, things tend to move faster at night or Mm -hmm. like in the moonlight. Uh, And I think that everything's a little more awkward when illuminated by the sun. Right. There's a certain reason you don't have dance clubs at noon. Mm -hmm. Things just don't feel right. You're less impulsive, Mm -hmm. perhaps, less impetuous. But it seems really evident in this because we have that almost jarring shot where the sky is blue now. Yeah. And you kind of forgot that that was a possibility because this night has just been going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. There was one moment after the sun had come up where he turns to Selene and he says, oh, no, we're in real time again. Yeah, that's And that was such a, like, a moment because it seems like the night is just going forever. Like, it seems like it's almost like a 20-hour night from all the things that they do and see and, like, experience together. And then when the sun comes up, it's like you realize that you only have a few more hours together. Right. Or less. Or an hour left together. Yeah. Whatever the time is. I like that they didn't do like a countdown or anything. Yeah. They never mention it until it is in fact time to go. Yeah. Yeah. They they live in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been to many places where I just can't afford a hotel. So I would spend the night just out in cities. And it is a special kind of night. And this maybe a lot of the reason I like this movie so much is because... The very specific experiences are all things that, like, I remember doing that. Mm-hmm. It's like you and Bring It On. That I remember doing that? Yeah. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, cheerleading. Yeah, I cheerleading. Um, at what point on our second date did I stop talking about cheerleading and did you start talking about this? Oh, so you didn't stop talk- talking about cheerleading until our third date. Right. 
Actually, that reminds me of something in this movie. Oh. So there's a moment where Celine is looking at a poster for an art show and she's remembering how much she loved that installation. She's seen it before. And we watch Celine looking at the painting. And then we watch Jesse looking at Celine. Mm-hmm. And he is enjoying watching her enjoy something. Mm-hmm. Which is why for our first two dates, <laughs> you talked about nothing but cheerleading. And I was I, nervous. No, no, because I kept saying, like, no, tell me more and asking questions <laughs> because you loved it. Yeah. You love cheerleading. I do. So, yes, you didn't know my job then, but I knew all about Angel Rice and Gabby Butler because <laughs> I just kept asking you because I loved watching you enjoy something. Oh, well, you stuck around. Yeah. For four years. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I must have done something right. Yeah, if I figured anyone who has that much passion for cheerleading, it's going to be fun times. <laughs> Did you have a favorite scene in this movie? I don't know. I liked I liked when they were laying in the grass. That was kind of fun. Towards the end? Yeah. Because like eventually you have to stop moving around. You can't move around for like 24 hours straight. Right. So it seemed kind of nice. And it almost seemed like, like everything stopped in those moments. I think my favorite moment is something similar because everything stops. But it's earlier on. When they go to the record store and she says, oh, have you heard this? And they go into the listening booth Mm -hmm. and they stand there awkwardly and they're both kind of looking at the other person to see how they're doing. But their gaze never quite meets. It's just the perfect timing. And I think there's a way people put this in memes and stuff. But like, I felt that. Mm hmm. I was talking about Hard Boiled the other day when something crazy <laughs> happens. I'm like, oh, and you like, you vocalize how excited you are. Like because a it's crazy. instant hotel. Sure, sure. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> In this one, I just found myself nodding. Just like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Those moments where there's this awkwardness and excitement and vulnerability all kind of blending together and you're not sure which one's going to win out, and all you can think about is, what are they feeling? Is it anything like this? And 99% of the time, it's the exact same thing. And in this case, I think it was the exact same thing. Yeah, for sure. And that, like, kind of getting to know someone awkwardness and being like, am I reading them right? Are they, like... Yeah. Are they feeling this? Do do I just, like, not know them? (laughs) And I think that's what made this one moment so special is because before they had the crutch of conversation. Mm-hmm. He could talk about his journey and they can talk about art and everything like that. They have all of these things to stop them from dealing with the matter at hand, which mm-hmm. is them falling in love. Right. At that moment, they didn't have anything stopping them. There was nothing in their way. They mm-hmm. just stood there and kind of looked at each other. But not at the same time. Did you think they were going to kiss in that scene? Um, yeah, it seemed like it. Like, it was leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad it didn't happen yeah. there. 
I've seen it before, but at that moment, I was like, oh, go for it. Kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> but I knew it wasn't going to happen, but it just seemed like they both really wanted to, but yeah. they just they weren't sure, right? Yeah, exactly. And it was just such a uh, such a relatable emotion captured on screen. Oh, it's, for sure. it's rare that a scene can capture something so specific without any dialogue. And I think mm-hmm. that one does it so well. Oh, it's, for sure. It's beautiful, subtle acting yes. by those two. Yeah, it's subtle. There's so many just ideas in this movie that I want to talk about, but not about the movie. Yeah. I just want to talk about that Quaker staring wedding ceremony. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about how he got to that place in life where he just wanted to be a ghost and be anonymous. Because I feel like, yeah, I had a, a bad month once and I sold my car and went to India. I, <laughs> I, I like, didn't speak to a person for probably like three weeks at one point. That's craziness. Yeah, because sometimes you just want to be a ghost. And then sometimes you want to meet someone and chat with everybody and go have cupcakes. But sometimes you just want to be a ghost. Yeah. You know how it is. No, I've never wanted to be a ghost. No? No. There's so often things I say that you go like, what? Or that's the look on your face. But I think your actual words are like, oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. With your Australian <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> accent. And that, that's probably one of those. Because I think when he said something, I can't remember what he said. And you didn't say anything to me during the movie much. But you said, that sounds like you really late at night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because late at night, you have less guards up. And you're like, you know what? Maybe Samantha wants to talk about traveling the world as ghosts, being anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're definitely different at night. Like a vampire. No, like a ghost. Like a ghost, yeah. Yeah. I'm like a ghost? That sounds bad when it's someone you're in a relationship with. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean that in like you're absent. I just mean you're... you're... Ephemeral magical oh i'll take it this is gonna be a weird episode this is gonna be a weird episode i am so i'm in such a weird mood right now so yeah we both are we had a collective seven hours of sleep yeah (laughs) last night our place is uh, flooded. We might be kind of homeless. Well, not homeless. Not we have homeless, parents, but like but we won't we be able to live here. We'll have to move out for a certain amount of time. Because, but we're still getting uh, this podcast to you. Yeah, because all the floors are gonna have to get ripped out. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So it's been quite the twenty-four hours, and I am not. 100% you're feeling. Sure. You're feeling transitory. I am perhaps. feeling transitory. Just like the very nature of Jesse and Celine's relationship, yeah. just as she saw in the figures in the art on the flyer so too are they so too are we all (laughs) always moving but never quite here oh perhaps i feel not quite here right now exactly (laughs) i think that's the best way to do this yeah (laughs) i definitely feel like i'm not quite as good at podcasting when i feel like this but this movie is very good do you have any other little lines or things that you enjoyed um i liked how like swept up in romantic ideas they were that when they were standing at the train um for her to get on she's like five years and he's like yeah okay five years and he's like wait a minute that's a very long time (laughs) (laughs) that was a good moment i think that's when this movie is most like a regular movie yeah but because we'd invested so much in those characters it didn't feel tacked on or overwritten even though it's like a big dramatic goodbye at a train Mm -hmm. it felt so much more deserved than in your 
typical romantic movie. Yeah, and I like that they left that hanging, too. I mean, saying six months from yesterday in this spot at 6 p.m. Like, it's such a, like, romantic idea just to, like, leave it up to chance. I did that one. Did you? (laughs) You've done everything. (laughs) We did, like, no contact, no email or anything. I met someone on a train in Tokyo. So you've lived this movie. And we hung out for, we were like, oh, we'll go to dinner. And then it just kept going. And it was probably three days. Oh. And then I was going home or just to Korea. And then I was actually flying to Canada. And we said, okay, well, um, no emails, no Facebook. We're not doing any of that. Okay, bye. That's crazy. Yeah. And then she found me. How? My name. Oh. It's, the, the internet exists, right? Oh, right. I forgot. Do you want to hear a fun little story? Yeah. I can do the two-minute version. Okay. So we did that, and then she found me and said, like, no, we that was stupid. We should uh, see each other again. And we're like, okay, what's halfway between Edmonton and Tokyo? And we're like, Los Angeles. So we met in LA, and we did, like, a California road trip. <sighs> and then I was moving to Korea, and I said, okay, well, I'll swing by Japan. And then we did a Japan road trip. Oh. And then she made a musical about me, and um, it, it gets more complicated from there. <laughs> but the most important ending is, like, it was all fun, well and good, but she's not Samantha. Aww. You know? Aww. <laughs> but the musical is actually pretty solid. I think you told me about the musical. I don't think I knew yeah. all of the, like, surrounding story. Or it was so early on in our relationship that you're like, this sounds made up. <laughs> And then you realize, oh, it's happened like three or four times. <laughs> yeah, I'm realizing now that you've had a very magical love life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the magic, when it starts off so magical, it, you can't maintain that. True, right? true. Bursts of magic. Yeah. I also like that line uh, that Celine says, because Ethan Hawke was being his typical self. And she says, like, oh, I don't think so. I think when... I want to know everything about a person and do. That's when I'll know I'm in love. Yeah. And she kind of takes, which also sounds romantic, but it's kind of the opposite of what normal romance in a movie is. Because it's normally like, hey, there's a handsome prince, love. Yeah. And they don't know anything. Or like, if he's the right guy for me, love will happen. But you take no time to get to know them. Yeah. Or they're wearing something that reminded you of something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I also really liked... Jesse's idea about how after a certain amount of time and especially if you were alone a lot because he was traveling alone you get sick of yourself Mm -hmm. and the idea of being with the right person for you makes you feel like you aren't yourself you're another person you are this new person that this relationship has brought out in you right that was a, a really fleeting idea but I think a really well thought out one even if they didn't present it as such in mm-hmm. the movie. Do you think they had sex? No. Why not? I don't know. It seems like, I don't know, for some reason that seems very final. Right. And I, I feel like they still had so much more that they wanted to like, experience together. I do. And it's not because of so much of what they said, but it's just one very simple reason why I think they had sex. Uh, they're kissing on the grass and then the next shot, it's light, and she's no longer wearing a t-shirt under her dress. I noticed that. Yeah, that's the only And I reason. wondered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they did then. Okay. But I love that they didn't show it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it leaves you up to decide. Um, it leads you up to decide a few things, like the if they had sex, and then also if they ever see each other again. I want to pause on that because I want to talk about it. So let's just wrap up our other stuff Okay, first. sounds good. But yeah, you're right. It's a very patient movie. Yeah. It doesn't force the issue at any point for any of the many, many things they talk about. Mm-hmm. It takes its time. And for a movie where two people fall in love in one night, it's still remarkably patient mm-hmm. and thoughtful in how it goes about that. Because I think I've been critical of so many movies of like, they just met and now they're in love. Yeah. Because in those movies, they literally just meet and then they're separated and they're both in love with each other. Yeah. In this movie, it takes the time and effort to walk you through each step of them falling in love. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about all of it right now because we're going to wrap up pretty quick. But there's so <laughs> many things early in the movie that they hint at that that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's not until the third quarter of the movie that the other person starts exemplifying those things maybe without even knowing it Mm -hmm. and they become what the other person was looking for and i think both of these characters are very well balanced and well thought out and it's different because in like a romantic comedy or one of the prince movies you can look at those people and be like oh that's like the ideal i would love that person those people aren't conceivable in any way it's it's like an archetype these people I don't think I would particularly like either of them. Yeah. I'm not sure about that, but I absolutely understand them. I think we can both see so many things that we've seen in other people or in ourselves that Mm -hmm. are also in these characters. And most importantly for this movie, I think we can see how they grow to love each other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You can see it growing as the movie goes on. Do you have any final thoughts on Before Sunrise? I think it's very, I think it's an easy watch. I think it's a watch that you could enjoy without going into in-depth thought about. And I think that it's a very nice movie, even if it does have a lot of like in-depth meaning and thought. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I think this movie is one of my favorite romances. Mm Mm-hmm. It's probably like this, and I can't think of other ones right now. Cinema Paradiso I love a lot, which we'll watch one day because it's so good. But it's not a movie that is about the grand gestures. There's no Empire State Building proposals. There's no princes. There's just people learning about each other, mm-hmm. being vulnerable, and falling in love. And I think that's so, so simple And still something I hardly ever see in movies. Oh, yeah. So I think that's why I I think I still love this movie. Okay. And I think for a movie that is regarded as being very pretentious, because Mm -hmm. it's just people talking about rather lofty, heady ideas, Mm -hmm. I think it's actually incredibly stripped of any pretense. Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't even rely on us to know that, oh, when these things happen, that means the characters are doing this. It doesn't rely on any conventions Mm -hmm. of film. It just is about two people talking. Yeah. And it's weird that that is so simple and yet regarded as being so pretentious. But either way, I, uh, yeah, it works on me. And I think the more I talk about it, the more I like it. Yeah, for sure. But we have to finish with, do you think they meet up in six months? I think they do. What would you think would happen? I don't even know. 
Do you think they'll have the same sort of magic? Um, the romantic in me says yes. And do you think they'll like spend their lives together? I don't know. So when I first saw this, it was probably 2002 or something. And I think Linklater himself said, like, this movie will test. If you think they get together, you're probably a romantic or an optimist. Mm -hmm. And if you think they don't, you're probably a pessimist. And I never really took a firm line of like, I think they do. I think they don't. I liked that it was open-ended because Mm -hmm. so much of the movie is. And then in uh, about 2004, out of nowhere... They made a sequel. They made a sequel. This was the surprise that I wasn't letting you look oh. up. There's a sequel. What? It is called Before Sunset. Oh. Why didn't do you we, hate that? Didn't we just decide that that was a bad title? We decided it would be a very different movie because during the day you behave much less uh, impetuously right. than you would in the night. So we are going to watch Before Sunset. And then pick up here again. Okay. Sounds good. All right, we're back to you just a few seconds. But to us, we're in a different place altogether. Yeah. We're in a hotel because our floors need to be removed and they're being dried. So we're in an office room of a hotel downtown. Yeah, so if it's echoey, it's because they gave us a whole office room. That has nothing in it except for a desk. But that's not stopping us from talking about now before sunset. Yes. So first thoughts, what'd you think? Um, I liked it. I understand why they made the movie. When it came out, it just seemed like such an odd thing to make a sequel to. Like this tiny movie that not many people saw that's just all dialogue-based. Yeah. It's not uh, franchise material, I right. guess. Yeah, they're not going to make eight of these. Yeah. But we got a sequel, and I don't think they needed to make a sequel, but I like the movie quite a bit. And upon this last rewatching, it it made me kind of fall in love with it again. It's a much more charming movie in some ways it's Mm -hmm. more positive i think oh actually i don't know what do you think um i found it positive i liked that they didn't just reveal everything at the beginning of the movie like they revealed some things at the beginning of the movie but as you went through you learned like yes they did have sex and he went to vienna and you know it was just like They've been thinking each other for years. Let's rewind. When he first sees Celine there, you don't know if they came together mm-hmm. or anything like that. What did you think initially? Did you and think that they're together? Initially, I thought that they were together. It kind of looks like that. Like a she, her body language and stuff is just so familiar. It almost looks like she's like his wife, just like waiting to pick him up. Right. And how did you feel about that when you thought that? Um, I hadn't really come to a conclusion on whether or not they met up and had, like, stayed together or gotten married or whatever. Like, I hadn't really come to a conclusion on that. So by seeing that, I think my brain automatically jumped to them being together. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, okay, so they're married now. Like, that's that's what I thought. And then as the movie kind of rolled out, I was like, oh, maybe they're, maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. When you found out that they hadn't met up 
Were you disappointed or sad at all for them? I was sad. Yeah. I kind of wanted, I wanted them to meet up in six months time. And it's such a romantic notion that it's like, it was kind of a letdown when they were saying that neither of them had gone to Vienna. Right. And then it was even more of a letdown when he said he had gone to Vienna. Yeah. And that she wasn't there. And I was just like, oh, my heart. <laughs> like, it's just so sad. <laughs> Yeah, the reveal he does when he said, like, oh, yeah, I hadn't gone either. But eventually she goes, well, why didn't you go? I had a good reason. And then he reveals that he had, and he put up all the posters and everything and has been looking for her. And it just gets progressively sadder, actually. If we rewind again, I love how this movie starts. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the shots we get at the beginning? It's all Paris and cafes and stuff. It's all the places that they're going to be in the movie. (gasps) Oh, I didn't catch that. Because the last one, which I'm not sure we talked about. I don't think we did. The last movie ends with all of the shots of the places they had been, but mm-hmm. now they're quiet and they're I in do the daylight. That. Yeah, and you and see the bottle of wine in the grass. Yeah, and, I yeah. loved that so much. So it just fun. puts such a good note on the end of that movie about how these places were magical at one point, but mm-hmm. now in the daylight removed from them, they're so ordinary. Yeah. And in this one, it seemed like kind of made it uh, maybe more familiar for us when we do go to those places later, because we've seen them established. And this movie, of course, doesn't have any establishing shots. Right. This movie is also in real time. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and 20 in film time, and it's an hour and 20 in their world, too. That's crazy. It's kind of cool that they shot this very quickly. It was done in 15 days. What? But they only shot about an hour a day. Because it's all natural lighting, so they could only shoot in that late afternoon glow. And I guess as it gets later, you have to shoot at like 4 o'clock and then 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Or I think just those, just 5 and 6, because the movie only takes place over that hour. Right. So they had to do everything on those days. They would rehearse all day and then just try to get everything in one shot (laughs) when it came down to it. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It was much more like a stage play, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? It was probably nicer to shoot, though, because I imagine that they did all sorts of overnight shoots in the Vienna. Oh, right. And this yeah. one, like, oh, just do some early evening shots. <laughs> but overnight, you can shoot any time between sunset and sunrise. True. You so can, you can start shoot at, like, so 10 much. p.m. and yeah. keep going. When you're shooting golden hour, you get that one hour. Yeah. You could maybe fake dawn as this time as well. Right. But that's about it. But since they're all real-world places and it's all long shots, the sun has to be in the same place all the time. Right. Really easy shoot in one way because there's not much to it. It's natural light. Yeah. But really tricky in other ways. Because you have to have the timing down. Yeah. That's crazy. And another movie with so many long shots. There's mm-hmm. like 11-minute shots in this. It's crazy. It made it very nice to watch, though. Like, it felt very smooth. So after our establishing shots, we go into the cafe where Jesse is doing his reading. And I liked how all of the questions that he's getting asked are the same questions that we asked about the last movie. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of get those flashbacks of the previous movie. I really liked that. At first, I thought, like, this doesn't need flashbacks. But I loved that the dialogue from present day mm-hmm. is over the visuals of nine years ago. And I like that it wasn't like a voiceover. Yeah. Like it's not like, oh, let me tell you about this woman I met. Sitting in his office or something, looking at an something from Vienna and being like, 
once upon a time I was young. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just seems corny. This was very organic because it was him answering specific questions about the book, and then the book happened to be about this thing, so you get those flashbacks. And all the questions I'm sure Richard Linklater got after the first movie. Yeah. I was like, well, do they end up? And <laughs> he gives the same answer that Linklater gave about, like, well, that tells me if you're a pessimist or an optimist yeah. of what you think. Absolutely. I'll give you a little bit of real-world knowledge that I know. We talk about Jesse writing the f- book in hopes of meeting Celine because he never was able to meet up with her. In real life, Richard Linklater went through something like this really? with a woman named Amy and said, if I make this movie, she's bound to see it somewhere and we can reconnect. Did they reconnect? Do you want to know? Yeah. It's sad. No? So Is she dead? The first... So the first movie came out, he didn't hear anything. Second movie came out, he didn't hear anything. Eventually, uh, I think 10 years after this movie, he heard from a friend of this woman, and she informed him that she had died, I think right around the same time they were filming before sunset in a motor in a motorcycle accident. That's so she never so never heard about it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and he made these two movies for her. Yeah, these two movies. I loved one of the answers that he gave when they were asking him all the things. And he says, happiness is in the doing, not in the getting what you want. That was a fun one. I like that a lot. He had some very kind of authory answers for stuff. And I liked I liked his answers. And I like how kind of ambiguous he was in some things. Because it really kind of spoke to how this is like a very special thing to him and he doesn't want to give it all away he's already given a large chunk of it away by writing the book and selling the book and everything that he kind of seems like he's like there's a few things he just wants to like keep to himself and like he's like oh it's the last city on my tour so yes she was real yeah (laughs) and there she is yeah exactly I like early on, we get him making these little jokes of like, oh yeah, and my life has been a nosedive ever since. And he makes these jokes. And just as in the first one, we got him and her becoming more sincere and less guarded and Mm -hmm. less trying to impress and being more of their authentic selves. Yeah. We get that in this one, but in this one, it's not more sincerity, but rather more sadness, Mm -hmm. which I guess is sincere, Mm -hmm. right? But we get them starting off with little jokes like that, and he makes a few of them. And by the end of the movie, you hear him talking about how he wakes up every night crying. Yeah. And that was a that was a really hard scene to to, to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, because he's being so real, and it's so it's such an adult thing to be able to admit too. So it kind of shows how the characters have grown, and um, you really see her trying to like wanting to comfort him, but then at the same time like pulling her hand back. Yeah, there's a few instances of that. Mm-hmm. There's really subtle things like that if you watch the movie very carefully. There's so much work that these actors are doing to appear natural. Mm -hmm. They're appearing natural in the most hardworking way. Because there's moments where Celine does that. And also, any time he gets a chance, Jesse just gets a little bit closer to her. Every time they sit down, he'll sit down and then just readjust to be a little bit closer. He touches her hand, little things like that. And then when she does, she's a little more... Not standoffish, that doesn't seem right, but... 
not as quick to jump into the physical intimacy as mm-hmm. he is, right? And she is going to comfort him in that moment. And he's not looking, but she puts her arm out and then takes it back. And that was a, that was a really good little moment. Yeah. And you can tell that she just like really wants to touch him. But then she's like, he has a wife. We don't even know each other's lives anymore. And like, it's not my place. And I like how she reciprocates his sadness, I guess, by just admitting how disillusioned she's become. Because she's at the point where she's not sad that she doesn't have that kind of romance in her life. Mm -hmm. But she's like disillusioned in the truest sense that she now believes that that type of romance is an illusion and is not attainable. Mm -hmm. And that's a sad place to be at, too. Yeah, for sure. Being an adult is the worst. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I guess what this movie is most about is like the the maturity. Yeah, you see... And this little glimpse of youth is like reminding them just how like old they are now. Right. They're definitely more grown up in how they respond to things. Mm -hmm. But for both of them, I think they see that as, as a negative. They see this maturity as a loss of idealism and of romanticism. Mm -hmm. And now they're just where they are. I think actually when, uh, in Before Sunrise, in the first one, Jesse talks about his parents and their relationship and how he doesn't want that type. Right. And what he talks about is she got pregnant and they just had to. And then he talks about his relationship with his wife mm-hmm. and it's the exact same thing. Exactly. So he's he's become that thing that like, he... No laughing. Yeah. I can't remember which movie it is. He talks about how they just don't laugh. Yeah, well, I think that's both. I think he was talking about his parents in the first yeah. one and about himself in this one. Yeah, yeah. It's no laughter. It's like my parents either. So it's just like he's really, like you said, living his parents' life that he told us in the first movie he really didn't want. Do you have any other scenes and moments you really enjoyed from this one? Um, I liked when they were on the boat. Um, I said to you that I've been on one of those boats and it's a very cool way to see Paris. So that was kind of neat just to see from like a viewer's standpoint because mm-hmm. I haven't seen that view since I was 15, which is a while ago. So I, I liked that. And they seemed so much freer on the boat. There was some kind of like subtle breakthrough that they had because they seemed very calm and comfortable around each other all of a sudden. I really liked how they became more comfortable with one another. Because at first, of course, it is awkward. They haven't seen each other in nine years. They don't know what the situation is. But then their chemistry kind of takes over and overwhelms any awkwardness they might have. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, I think they still don't know, like, oh, are they married? What's the situation Mm -hmm. there? Are they in love with me? They don't know these things. But their natural chemistry takes over all of that. And Mm -hmm. they... uh, they become free and the banter just uh, I hear it's from crazy amounts of rehearsal but it seems just like these two people have that in them that, that chemistry that they just work like that yeah I'm sure like any really good actor could do that with lots of rehearsal but these guys just seem so genuine so you say that but then we've seen so many movies where they're talented people and they just don't work on screen mm-hmm. together or maybe they just weren't as talented as we think they are. Yeah, I think so. I think you have to have some kind of natural chemistry to begin with. Probably. Like the actors. I also really loved the moment where 
I guess it's later in the movie when they're walking up the stairs to her apartment Mm -hmm. because it's quiet and it really mirrors the listening booth scene in the first movie. Yeah. Because they're looking at each other and they never quite Mm -hmm. catch each other's eyes. Yeah, she keeps looking back at him and he's looking at her because she's going up the stairs and it's, yeah, it's that awkward moment where they're gonna do it but not quite sure. And they're going up to her apartment. At that point... Do you think like, oh, they're going to have sex or they're going to be together or? I thought that they might kiss. I wasn't sure about anything else because he's married and he still seems very attached to that relationship. Like he doesn't seem like there's a point of people in movies who are in bad marriages who are just like, I'm done with that. Like I can't anymore. He still seems very attached to his marriage. For the sake of his child. For the sake of his child. And he still clearly loves... Um, his wife because he's like she deserves a good life she deserves to be happy and so he like still cares about her he hasn't much, yeah. he hasn't kind of soured on her or turned on her yet and so it seemed to me like they might kiss it might you know be very kind of romantic but I didn't think that they would be together at the end and they never kiss in this movie no for a romance movie like a straight up romance yeah. movie Which is what this is. And I think what you were saying is one of the reasons I like these movies so much more than other romances. Mm -hmm. Because how many times do you see someone who's in a relationship, but then we want them to get with the other person. So then we have to make that first person like so evil of like, oh yeah, my wife, well, she murdered three people. She's cheating on me right Mm -hmm. now. So then we won't feel bad about wanting them to break up. But in this one, we hear about a woman who's, Who's nice, who's a good mother. Puts herself in her job. She's, you know, pushing herself to be a good teacher. But we still don't want them to be together. No. And those are the complexities of of life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes people can be good and just not work out. Yeah, and just not be the person for that person. Yeah. Do you think Celine is the person for Jesse? I think so. Why? Just the way that they, like, clicked back into that chemistry after nine years. Um, and I think they were telling each other things that that you don't tell someone else unless you, like, have really good chemistry and feel really comfortable with them. But do you think it could just be the same as what happened the first time? You're with someone for one hour mm-hmm. in this case, and that time maybe, like, ten hours. Mm-hmm. You can sustain things much more easily for an hour than you can for like the nine years that have passed do you think if they get together now in nine years they're still going to be like as in love i think so Hmm. because i want to believe it yeah (laughs) i think it's me wanting them to be together just because i like want that to be something that happens yeah well that brings up this whole idea of of romance and keeping romance in Mm -hmm. a relationship because you always hear the sitcom tropes or probably like magazines and through friends of like, oh, you have to keep the romance alive. Once a week we go out for dinner. And to me, that seems like the opposite of romance. Mm. I, I appreciate gestures and chocolates and flowers and all of those things. Yeah. But that to me seems like a greeting card romance. Yeah. And the romance that Jesse and Celine have is something that can't be manufactured. It's about a shared experience, and that's not as easy to create. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why for every gift, I give you a, a vacation. Yeah. Because to me, I think those shared experiences are more romantic than like, oh, Thursday night, date night. Yeah. Like forcing it. Yeah. I don't think you can schedule romance. No. But that's just my my personal belief. Oh, I agree with you. Those like spontaneous things are nice. Where you know, like, oh, I brought home your favorite pizza. That's a nice thing. Mm-hmm. But not, I brought home your favorite pizza every day on t- every Tuesday for 10 years. True, but bringing home someone's favorite pizza and uh, noted, I get the hint. <laughs> no. um, that, <laughs> I'm not trying to lay hints. That's nice. Yeah. And that's thoughtful. I, is that romantic? No. I think spontaneous, yes. If it's like once every, you know, year. And it's just some random Tuesday. That's romantic. And this is from someone who loves a planner. (laughs) (laughs) This is from someone who like lives by her Google calendar. (laughs) Yeah, I think the type of romance they have is the type you can't manufacture. It's about those conversations in the middle of the night about the nature of the universe and things (laughs) like that, right? Which I admit I'm a sucker for because I too find those types of things very romantic and uh, I, I love having that com- type of conversation and both of them seem to yeah. but then there's instances where like I could talk about stuff like that all night you can put up with it for five ten minutes <laughs> I wish I was that person for you <laughs> but I'm just not <laughs> I know this is going to be just a really short little bit but overall I think think I really liked Before Sunset. We're recording this about an hour after finishing yeah. it. And also, we can put it out there what we're doing. We <laughs> we have to stay in this hotel for the time being, so we're making the most of it. I'm wearing a robe the whole time and yeah. nothing else, because that's, that's vacation mode. We've got the heat cranked up like we're somewhere tropical. <laughs> yeah, we're convincing ourselves that we are on vacation and not uh, put out of our home because yeah. there may be carcinogens in the floor. So we have pretty positive things to say about the movie but I do think this movie is I started that sentence with no idea of where it would go and then usually I can finish it with something profound it did not happen this time but I think this movie is a fitting sequel if you're going to do a sequel for something like that which I don't think needed one but it's just really nice to be with those characters again Mm -hmm. and I think you lose out on the effect it had on me because it was nine years between the two for me Mm -hmm. or I guess I didn't watch the first one in 95 but it was several years at least yeah and it was a complete surprise when it came out so being able to revisit these characters that you'd been thinking about in the back of your mind for such a long Mm -hmm. time was great and the two of them don't let you down no I think they're both very good in it oh they're fabulous but overall, this movie's better in so many ways. I feel like I liked the two characters better in this movie. Mm-hmm. The things they said about the failures or at least shortcomings of their present relationships was so so profound and heartbreaking mm-hmm. yet relatable, which is something that they didn't have in the first one because they've matured because they have these experiences. Mm-hmm. For sure. How do you feel about before sunset as opposed to before sunrise? I think that before sunrise was such um, kind of a dreamy movie. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's it's such a dreamy movie because it's like your 
ideal fantasy, right? You're traveling, you meet a girl on a train. I mean, this is your reality. You've, <laughs> you've done this multiple times. But as someone who has not met someone on a train, it's like... Um, you make it sound like I'm doing it all the time. <laughs> no. Uh, sorry, go on. Go on. <laughs> this is why you're not allowed to take the LRT to work. <laughs> um, but it's, as someone who's never done that, it's like something you think, oh, maybe I'll meet a handsome stranger and he'll show me around his hometown or something. Like, like it's such a, like an idealistic thing. And then um, the second movie before Sunset is such a real movie. Like, it's totally exactly what would happen after that. Yeah, it is the perfect maturing. Mm-hmm. They waited the full nine years. The characters have aged. They haven't just set the movie nine years in yeah. advance. And then make up to them. And I think, like we were talking about in the first one, the time of day makes a very big difference. How at night everything is magical and ethereal. Mm-hmm. And in the daylight you have to deal with the harsh consequences and realities. And although the daylight in this looks golden and shimmery and probably more dreamlike mm-hmm. than the first movie, yeah. the reality of the characters is is laid bare yeah. in the sunlight of, of Paris. Yeah. And it's a it's a harsh reality. And I think it's not just an accident and clever titling that that one is at night and this one is in day. Yeah. I think the idea of everything being harshly illuminated, being the physical characters themselves mm-hmm. from the sunlight and the realities of their world is is a really effective choice by Linklater. Yeah, absolutely. And this this seems like the growing up of the original movie. So I think that it would be very beneficial to like we did take a couple days between the movies if you're watching nine years if you can um i don't know what the state of podcasts will be in nine years so this may not work but i definitely think that if you can put a little bit of distance between the two movies that you should do it okay so then the last question what do you think happens after this movie are you gonna tell me there's a third movie no no just (laughs) tell me what you think first I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop now after that last <laughs> last recording. <laughs> Surprise! Um, I think that this is the push that Jesse needed to figure out his marriage. And that I think he comes back and surprises Celine and says, like, let's figure it out. I don't know what she Oh, says. do you think he gets on the plane? I think he gets on the plane eventually. Oh, I don't think he he leaves that room. Ever? Not ever. I don't think he dies. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think that he stays there with her and, like, they rekindle their romance. Yeah. Um, And then I think he goes home and he, like, deals with his life and then makes it so that he can go be with Celine. Yeah. First, like, when I saw it when this movie came out, because I think this one I did get to see in theaters, it seems more clear that he's not making that flight. Mm-hmm. Whether or not... They stay together for that night, and then the magic is gone the next day. That I was less clear on Mm -hmm. if it was going to be long-term, but it seemed very clear to me because I think at one point at the end, 
they say something. Maybe she either says, you're going to miss that plane, and she he says, just smiles. you're going to miss your flight. And he says, yeah, I am. And he, like, moves his wedding band almost. Like, he's oh, thinking about it. That. Like, he's made the decision to, like, he's got his hand up in the air, like, I think on the arm of the couch. I'm right. doing it right now, but you can't see that. Um, and he's got his hand, like, on his ring, and he kind of spins it a little bit, and he says, yeah, I know. And he's, like, smiling into the sun, and then drops his arm, and then the movie goes dark wow yeah i that really stuck with me that like ending moment because you're like he's made the decision like he's he's done this is it yeah this one definitely seems more clear of Mm -hmm. what happens next i think it's the timelines that are unclear about what will happen with them do we think this is a sustainable relationship and you think yes i think yes i think they've had time to mature, and I think that's one thing that would have been working against them had they gotten together nine years ago. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of happy that I didn't meet you mm-hmm. when I was 20. We because you don't want to meet the person, your like dream person, when yeah. you're a teenager. We were talking about hard. this with your sister today, yeah. and we were like, well, we don't have time to make any new like things that we like enjoy. It's, it's This is our hobbies and our interests, and this is like the person I want to be with. Yeah, because you know you're... Of course, you could change when you're like 50 years old, but I think usually you're pretty set on who you are when you're in your 30s. Mm-hmm. Although maybe other people would disagree. But I think if I were to have stayed with my high school sweetheart like so many people do, I've changed so much yeah, since then that I wouldn't be the same person. But maybe you would have to find that person who also changes as much. And and the same as you. Right. Which I think is the hard part. Because I'm not the same person I was when I was like 17. No, hopefully not. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to be with someone who acts like yeah. a, a 17-year-old most 17 of the 17-year-old cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> Been there when I was 17, when it was appropriate. <laughs> but uh, let's go back to fictional characters. Oh, yeah. So I don't have to feel so... Exposed in front of our audience somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to cut out all those stories that okay. I told. Because I'm sure, so you people out there, I'll tell you this. I told a bunch of stories. They're not going into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with you that they definitely get together that evening. Mm-hmm. But nine years after this came out, they did make a third movie. I knew it! <laughs> I knew it! <laughs> Is this where we pause and go watch it? Well, folks, you have heard the woman. We are going to pause and watch Before Midnight. Indeed. <laughs> and we will join you here again in mere moments for you. <laughs> How do you feel about this? You seem very distraught. Because <laughs> I knew that this was going to happen. I'm not distraught. I'm just not surprised. Um, I'm excited to see this. I haven't seen Before Midnight since 2013 when it came out. I do recall recently you saying you wanted to see movies that are just in Greece. I think this one might be set in Greece. Really? I'm not 100% sure, but we are going to figure it out very soon. All right, well, we are going to pause. We'll meet you back here in just a couple moments, and we will talk about Before Midnight. All right, it's been 24 hours. We just finished watching Before Midnight. Samantha, first impressions? Um, I liked it, but not as much as Before Sunset. Is Sunset your favorite of the three? I think so. I think Sunrise is still my favorite. It's the most flawed, but I still love it because it's the one that 
doesn't depend on anything else. It's kind of self-encapsulated. You can just watch that movie and not have to watch the other two, and it's a good standalone movie. Right. While these two are, I think, very dependent on the others. Oh, for sure. You can watch them on their own, and you won't be lost as far as plot goes, but I don't think they carry the weight if you don't see where the characters come from. True. I still think I like the second one the best, Um, but I think that's kind of indicative of you watching the first one. But I think the second one was my favorite. And now I feel like the third movie was a little bit too stereotypical. Oh, how so? Um, I think that assuming that they're going to have like a bad marriage is kind of like not necessary. Do you assume that they are going to have a bad marriage? Is that what you think is depicted in the movie? Kind of, yeah. I think that they're um, not having a great time. On this moment where we see them, for much of it, that's true, but... I'm not sure that the movie says that that is their marriage on the whole. Right. But maybe we'll talk about that a bit at the end of where we think this movie leaves off. If this is still a romantic movie, if it has that idea of romance that the first two have, or if it's just a more matured idea of what romance is in reality. Right. But let's go to the beginning of Before Midnight. Right off the bat, we get Jesse talking to his son. Right. So already this movie is incredibly different because there's another speaking role, which we don't really get in the other two. Oh, exactly. Unless you're like a shopkeeper. Yeah, and even then, not very much. Yeah. And we have an entire scene without Celine in it, which Mm -hmm. is something we don't get really in the other two films. And I guess that just sets up where they are in their lives right now. They are no longer the only thing in the other person's life, which it seems like they were for that one night in 94 and for all the time leading up to the second one, really, because yeah. they were both very preoccupied with this idea of the the person that they that they missed out on being with. Yeah. But here we get to see him talking to his son and how sad he was when he sees his son go. It's mm-hmm. the first time we've seen like true sadness in these movies as well. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting to see that kind of side of him because you don't see that. You see that he's like sad to leave Celine when she goes on the train and like that kind of thing, but there's still like a hopefulness there. Yeah, it's all tied into romanticism. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's not. No, he knows what's going to happen. He knows what his son is going back to. And I think that that is... Part of what I didn't super love about this movie. It's just more pessimistic on the whole, It's more pessimistic and more realistic, I think. Right. And I like the first two movies because there's this sense of them being, like, inside a snow globe. Yeah. The outside doesn't exist. They're just in love. And they're trying to kind of capture that in any way that they can. Whereas with this one, it was so realistic and so kind of standard for... Two people who have been through a divorce and then are, like, getting married and trying to maintain that past relationship so that the son has a good time and then also grow their family and not feel like they're leaving behind someone. While I definitely agree with you on the first two movies being that that snow globe, that they're not affected by the outside world and they have this happiness and everything is perfect when it's just the two of them... I don't think I agree with this just being a, a standard or stereotypical approach in the rest of it, because mm-hmm. 
I don't know of any movies or many movies that have such a nuanced look of on one extreme, possibly a relationship falling apart, mm-hmm. but probably more just a romance that has to eventually exist with outside of that snow globe and deal mm-hmm. with all sorts of outside influences. And that's where things can start to show those cracks. Mm-hmm. Also, this was the first time we got a score. Oh, yeah. That happens in that first scene when after he drops his son off, we hear music that's not coming from inside the movie. And we had not gotten that before. Interesting. That was strange. I didn't notice that until the end when they kind of zoom out and focus on the cup on the table. Oh, at the very end of the movie? At the very end of the movie. Well, then let's go on to the rest of the movie. We have a very long scene with... Celine and Jesse in their car with their children in the back. Mm -hmm. And I did like a lot about that scene. It was cute. I think this is where we get to see the most normal of them, just being parents. Mm -hmm. Because there's that bit about eating the apple. And I think all of you parents out there know that sometimes all you're living on is (laughs) leftovers leftovers from your children, right? So that was funny. And how they're joking about it, like, oh, you're stealing food from your children. How could you do such a thing? I liked all of that a That lot. was funny. And all of the things that she was bringing up, like, if they become bulimic or anorexic, you're going to have to explain to them yeah. that you started stealing food from them. Um, and then I also enjoyed when she was saying, like, they'll never be able to go to sleep because they always think that you're just like sleep through all the good stuff snoozy lose yeah and so when they're addicted to crack and cocaine because <laughs> they don't want to sleep yeah they'll uh be like our dad always told us you snooze you lose which is funny yeah that's funny i like all of those bits and just as soon as you're carried away with the banter between the two that we've become so comfortable with in mm-hmm. the last two movies we get injections that we haven't had to deal with in the past. Like they're dealing with their plans for the day and she's dealing with trouble at work. And at first when this job is mentioned, it seems like she's giving up on her ideals to take this other job. But then as she talks more and more about this job, it changes what it means. And that's a really interesting point because it seemed like she was settling on perhaps taking this new mm-hmm. job. But by the end of the movie, she's saying, this is my dream and you're holding me back from yeah. it, which is something I didn't see that he was doing. But yeah. I guess we'll get into the fight later. We yeah. can stay on the, the nice happy step that we're at yeah. right now. But that scene does also include the line of like, oh, this is it. This is the ticking bomb. This is how it happens. Yeah. Now you're going to leave me. And that seemingly came out of nowhere. Yeah, that was a little sudden. And I felt like maybe unwarranted at the time. Like, that she be that sudden to jump into, like, um, into, like, oh, you're going to leave me. That's it. Our relationship is slowly fizzling out and we're not going to be together anymore. Yeah, it does seem very out of nowhere. But then we kind of get some follow-up on that later in the movie. But now let's go just to the next scenes we have are very strange for this trilogy as well because they are separate and they have scenes with different people. Mm -hmm. And that was nice to see because it is great to see them interact with other people. Mm -hmm. I think 
one thing we're since we're being so personal in this episode, I yeah. think, depending on how I edit it and how much I take out. We were pretty personal for the last movie, so yeah, go on. It's great to see someone you love interacting without you. Mm-hmm. Like you like to watch the people you like talking to each other and it's like a refresher and a new way to look at all the things you love about that person Mm -hmm. and how they are interacting with others you get to see that all again because they've been together for nine years now Mm -hmm. and they kind of know each other they they really know each other they've seen all these things before and we feel like we kind of know them from the last two films but we get a fresh perspective on these two individuals because we're seeing them interact with with others now yeah and you kind of see what they're like or what they might have been like before they got together which is kind of neat like um Jesse hanging out with the guys and talking about like writing and stuff like that and um Celine hanging out in the kitchen with the women cooking and like joking around and stuff it's nice to see that side of them yeah and I wish I had paid more attention to Celine in these moments because I felt like movie number two was more Jesse based mm-hmm. and we get to learn more about his character in that movie. Yeah. And I feel like three is more about her and we get to learn about her character. And in those scenes when she's not with Jesse, I wish I'd paid more attention because yeah. I think it would have informed her later on when we see these things where to me it kind of seemed like they were coming out of nowhere, but we get some follow through on on the reasons behind it, I think. But I think these scenes might have informed it a bit more. Yeah. Because how I felt for Jesse's character, in these scenes, he's talking about about writing, about his projects. And I think at this point, he probably can't talk to Celine in the same way about these things because she's been the subject of the first two. Yeah. And I'm sure she's sick of talking to him yeah. about all of this stuff. Exactly. He's probably overjoyed to have these people to kind of talk to and to kind of bounce ideas off of and uh he uh, yeah i agree with you i think she's probably doesn't want to talk about writing at all because it's been such a huge part of her life too right because she's been in his books i like in one of their theoretical ideas they're talking about the transient nature of everything Mm -hmm. and the one character who i can't remember the exact examples but when he meets someone he just goes like oh i wonder how they're going to die because this is all impermanent when he looks out at the ocean he's like one day this is going to be all dried up (laughs) but that's kind of a commentary on us i feel like yeah because we're watching these movies and with these characters and we just want to know what happens yeah just tell us are they going to be happy do they get together (laughs) and in this conversation about that i feel like the conclusion they come to is it's a futile gesture Mm -hmm. you can't just sit and wonder about the end of everything because then you don't enjoy the moment Mm -hmm. and maybe that's a good lesson for us film watchers to learn yeah that you can't just worry about the ending, see what's happening right now, and enjoy these things. For sure. And I think, maybe I'm reading too much into it, maybe that's not here, but I think it is a, a worthwhile point to make, even if it was unintentional. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the big dinner scene, which is a great scene. I, I loved that I scene. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. I liked the different perspectives of the couples of different ages. That's kind of one of Linklater's most uh, 
direct ways of doing this, of just having these different generations, different walks of life and different types of relationships coming together and all kind of pontificating on the same sort of things. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that it gave kind of a fun idea of how the generations were changing. Like, I love the young couple who were like, oh, we're not planning to be together forever. That's like, that's ridiculous to plan for. And the other people don't go, oh, how sad that you think that. Mm -hmm. They go, how beautiful that you think that. Yeah. And like, man, I wish I had been as like realistic as you when I was young. And and I think that's kind of neat because it's it shows like a maturity that the young people have that the older couples wish that they had had. Yeah, and perhaps it's how they have grown up, this newer generation. They do make some references to the technology they use. Mm-hmm. They they go to sleep on Skype every day. But it does seem like a point of view that Celine and Jesse definitely lack mm-hmm. because they are caught up in a very typical and classic idea of romance in the mm-hmm. first two movies. Although that is tempered definitely in the second movie because they are both in relationships at yeah. that point, right? yeah. I definitely think that, again, more honest, um, like in the first movie, they weren't being realistic and like honest about what they were doing. I think they were being honest to themselves and to each other. I think they didn't have the depth of character or the experience to know that such a thing isn't sustainable. That's, I think that's what I mean. I mean, like, they're not being honest with themselves that this isn't, like, forever. Or this isn't going to be some grand romance and they'll be together and yeah, it'll be so romantic. 23, I think, in that one. And yeah. at that time, yeah, I thought, like, everything, this is forever, right? <laughs> yeah. you, you feel like that. Yeah. You haven't had your heart broken as often. You haven't had all these failed relationships. And they're both coming off of at least one bad relationship. Mm -hmm. And then they go on this whirlwind journey together. And of course, it's going to feel like this will last forever. And perhaps it does. Yeah. But it can't last forever as it was at that moment. Yes. And that's probably the biggest takeaway of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think that whole dinner scene, one of the big things, and the movie, like I said, it's that not that romantic love doesn't exist, Or perhaps that's the point they're making. I felt that they're just saying romantic love as it was in that first movie isn't sustainable. Right. What do you think? Um, I think I agree with that. And I think in this... Sorry, do you think you agree with that in that's what the movie is saying or that's what you believe? Um, I think that's what the movie is saying. And I think I pretty much believe it. I I think that that was such a beautiful... um, first movie and such a romantic ideal um, that then ends up not being the case, right? Because they don't end up meeting up in Vienna and being together forever. And then they meet up in Paris in the second movie and you get this kind of more mature yet still very romantic idea that, oh, maybe after nine years we can be together. Um, And the movie ends with that like attempt And then the third movie comes, and I feel like all of that kind of magic is gone. I don't know that all of the magic is gone. I think the things that we loved about these two characters together, a lot of it is still there. Mm -hmm. And when they go for that walk together, you still see it. And there are moments where you still see that magic. Mm -hmm. I think that can't be everything. You can't live your entire life like that. 
Like, there's that story I told that I, I met someone on a train, and then we, we... And I actually was on a radio show once and to tell that story, because someone heard it. And when I tell, like, the long version, and they said, like, this is an amazing story. You have to be on it, on the radio show to talk about this. And I did, and I told the whole story. And then at the end, everyone's like, what? Why are you not together right now? And I was like... And then I have to tell, like, okay, you probably don't want this for the radio show, but here's the next part. That was amazing. Oh, that's amazing. But at some point, you have to be together for weeks on end. Yeah. And everything isn't a new country every day. Everything Mm -hmm. isn't the first time you're hearing a story. And you have to be able to get into that that friendship level. Mm -hmm. And the romance that from something as exciting as that can't sustain all of that. Right. And I guess we're going to get personal again, but (laughs) that's the thing, like... You're my best friend. Aww. So, yeah, we, this year especially, yeah. we're not going on all of our crazy adventures. Yeah. We're not doing new things all the time. And we're not separating at all either. We're together all the time yeah. doing very little that is new. <laughs> yes. You need to be able to do that to sustain a relationship. Exactly. It can't all be flights around the world. Mm-hmm. That's not sustainable. That's a great introduction to something. That's a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. You can't live your life like that. And no. I think that's where these characters are going, and that's what they're finding out. Do you think Jesse and Celine would have lasted through the pandemic? Okay, here, let me rephrase that. First movie, Jesse and Celine. Pandemic, yes or no? No. Second movie, Jesse and Celine. Pandemic, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> Third movie, Jesse and Celine. Pandemic? You know what? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I think so. Because we'll get to it at the end, but I actually take this as a positive yeah. movie. Okay. I think this movie is some of the hardest stuff to watch. Mm-hmm. It's some of the saddest thing. Oh, it's super sad. Yeah. But I think it is optimistic in the end. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, also in this dinner scene, we see a lot of Celine doing the, well, men are this way, women are this way. Yeah. Which she does does in the first two movies, but it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But I I hate anything about me being like, well, that's because you're a man. Yeah. Like, I feel like those arguments are reductive and dismissive. Oh, for sure, yeah. Did you find that at all with her in this scene? A little bit. Um, it definitely made me think about the fact that, like, we don't know a lot of people who talk like that. Right. Like, who are very kind of not dismissive, but, like, assumptive on this is a men's role and this is a women's role. And it right. could be the time, right? Like, we're in a more equalized society or where people are trying to be more equal towards gender and that kind of thing. So I think we don't know as many people who would take such a strong stance. I think we are in our little micro society of yes. our friends and family. <laughs> yeah. I don't think our culture as a whole is there, though. Yeah, you're right. And we do talk about this from time to time. And I actually think we were talking about it today, about how, like, we're not the majority. No, no. <laughs> what were we talking? We were talking about... Oh, people pronouncing words properly. <laughs> See, Samantha does this too. It's not just me who's an <laughs> asshole. Um, and we were saying like someone who says voila instead of voila. And then we were like, I think that's like not normal for people to pronounce it properly. Well, I think what happens a lot is you say like, hey, do you know that people do blah, 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 blah. Like, 
say this word wrong all the time yeah. or assume men do this all the time assume this race believes this and I go, yeah, Sam, everyone's like that. <laughs> Most people are pretty terrible. I do live in a little bubble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I was kind of shocked to hear her talk about that to that extent in the movie. Because in the first two movies, she brings it up, but it's a joke. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you boorish American. You only speak one language, right? Yeah. And it's charming. Yeah. In this one, she got upset in the group in front of everyone mm. and said, like, oh, he just wants me to leave my job and move back like like it's nothing and that I don't matter because I'm a woman. And I, at least me, I was like, he never said no, that. No, yeah. And I felt a little defensive. A little bit. But maybe it's just because I'm a guy and don't want negative things associated with just being a man. So how did you feel about those parts? Um, I definitely think... Like, I've heard those things before, right? Like, we've all heard those things before. So I could definitely see her being worried about that. But at the same time, I feel like she should know Jesse well enough at this point, nine years in, to know that she's not going to end up like that because he clearly doesn't want that for her. Like, it felt pretty obvious that he didn't want that for her. I'm glad you feel that way because it felt obvious to me. But mm. I think I related to Jesse a lot and I found that problematic because I don't necessarily like Jesse. No, I, but I could see that. I could see where you're coming from there. So in those cases, I felt almost like personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that you. it's not just me that feels no. like that. No, no. And I, I think that he was kind of caught up in his life trauma and maybe not being the best partner but i think that he's trying and i think he's trying you can see that he's trying to overcome his divorce and overcome the fact that his ex-wife hates him and is like trying to ruin his son's life and that he's trying to get over his traumatic childhood or whatever past traumas he has and i think that it's really obvious but maybe because they've been together for so long celine doesn't see it anymore and she also sets him up with those little tests. Yeah. Which at first was funny because that happens in the first movie. Mm-hmm. 18 years ago, she does it and it's a little joke. Now it happens and it seems a little more malicious. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's pointed and it seems like she's trying to start a fight at some yeah, point. Yeah, she's trying to prove to herself that he's like a bad guy. Yeah, that whole, what would you change about me? I think that happens in the first movie. And that's such a loaded question. And he gives as good of an answer as you possibly could. Absolutely. That's such a loaded question. And that's never like a question you want to answer about your partner. (laughs) Like, Like everyone I'm sure has little things that, you know, they wish their partner didn't do or whatever. But it's not like, you don't want to ever be put on the spot and be like, hey, what do you hate about me? <laughs> oh, I totally want to ask you live on this podcast. No. Although this podcast isn't live. <laughs> no, I refuse. But that was a funny bit in the first one. In this one, he says, I wish you would stop trying to change me. Mm-hmm. And at the time, she says, like, oh, what a slick answer. And that's how I felt, too. But then when you watch later on through the argument, you realize that really is at the heart of something. Mm-hmm. Is that she's trying to change him and he seems like the exact same guy. He does. And I don't think she seems all that different either. But I think she was expecting him to change into something else. Right. Well, that more closely resembles what she wants, ideally. I think that's really funny because during the fight, she says everybody expects mothers to just 
turn on this mothering instinct and to just instantly become a mother and that she doesn't feel that's what happened. And so she's like, well, everyone expected me to change and I didn't change. And I think it's really funny that she's expecting Jesse to change, but he's like, you can't change me. That's not how this works. Well, let's jump forward then to the big argument that happens in that hotel. And it is one of the harder scenes to watch. Mm -hmm. It reminded me a little bit of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in that it's just a prolonged argument. I was in a production of that once and it was such a a, a tiring role to play to just be like yelling at someone you love for an hour on stage. But in this case, this scene too, I I felt exhausted afterwards. Hmm. Yeah, and you definitely feel... The frustration when Jesse, like, throws himself face down on the couch. Did you relate to that in the sense of, like, I've been through that. Yeah. I've been in that argument where you don't even know what the problem is and everything you say seems to make things (laughs) worse. And you're just like, I I don't even have an argument here. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, like, she's just going off on him. And Mm -hmm. he can't figure out what to say or how to press pause or even do anything so they can enjoy this nice evening that their friends have given them. And she's just raging about absolutely everything. And she seems a little irrational in this scene. Like, she's just losing her mind. And he's trying everything that he can to get her to just, like, calm down for a moment. And then when she leaves the room, he, like, throws himself face down on the couch. And I was like... I feel that. (laughs) I feel that a lot. So what do you think is at the heart of Celine's anger or frustration? Because I think we learn a lot about both of the characters through this. We learn, well, maybe with Jesse, we just get reinforced what we already know. He seems like, not like such a great guy, Mm -hmm. but a guy who cares about her. Yeah. If, he if nothing else, cares. he cares about her. I think above all else, probably. Yeah. Oh, and, and his, his children, I his think. His children, yeah. He clearly cares about the twins, and he clearly cares about Hank. Yeah. We named children Hank? Well, it's Henry. Okay. <laughs> because it was funny, in the second movie, he says, I have little Henry, he's four, and then they get off out on uh, Henri Quatre, which means Henry Four. Oh, that's yeah. what I remembered. Oh, much. I yeah. didn't even make that connection. Yeah. But that's I don't weird. think it was like a inside joke or anything it just helped me remember that it's henry right okay i think possibly some of this anger is coming from the fact that like at the beginning of the movie she's not even sure she wants the job and then all of a sudden jesse's like let's move to chicago and he doesn't even really suggest that they move to chicago he doesn't even say the words she says it first So then she like whips herself into a frenzy about moving to Chicago and suddenly this job becomes like the stable, normal thing in their life. And she's like, well, I have to take this job. It's my dream job. It's the only thing that would keep her in Paris. And I think that that is part of why she's so upset is because she's trying to cling to this thing that would keep her in Paris. So do you think it's mostly about the moving? I think so. But she's using the job as a reason to like be like, well, I can't move. I have this dream job now. I think when this argument started, I was a little disappointed in in the film because it seems like it's taking a, a well-natured man and an irrational woman. And I think this movie, these movies are too good for such a simplistic view. Mm-hmm. So then I try to figure out 
out what is actually at the heart of what Celine is so angry about. Right. What she wants the most, it seems, and I think it is the same with the two of them, just in different ways. They want that romance. Mm -hmm. She wants what she had in the first movie. She wants the promises that all of these romantic films and experiences and songs have promised her. Right. She wants those to be held true. And now she's scheduling pickups and drop-offs with <laughs> kids. It's not that ideal that she had growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think what she's most upset about is, is the failure of life to deliver on the promises that she felt she's been made through film and song and everything like yeah. that. And in fairy tales. She even talks about how the kids always associate weddings at the end of everything. And Celine herself associates weddings with fairy tales. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the happy ending. This romantic wedding. But we don't see what happens nine years after that wedding. Yeah. Actually we get in part two Jesse talks about how he did have a longer ending on the end of his first book, mm -hmm. and it picks up with the characters years later, and they realize that the romance they had does not translate to lifelong happiness. So that's all been hinted at already. And I think that Jesse had the mind to write that. So he clearly has maybe a more realist view mm -hmm. of romance, that that type is not sustainable, while Celine does not. And what she's most angry at is her inability or life's inability to grant her this lifelong passionate romance. Mm -hmm. So she's angry at Jesse and trying to push him away because he's what has killed that romance. She He gave her that romance, mm -hmm. but now that it's a 10-year-long relationship, he's also what's killing that romance. She can't experience these new things. She can't go on these whirlwind adventures anymore right. because she's in a comfortable, happy relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie is the time when she's kind of realizing that. Right. And this is her rebellion against it. When she's putting words in his mouth, it's not just like, oh, she's an irrational woman. It's that she's so angry that she can't get what she's wanted her whole life. And if she pushes Jesse away, maybe she starts fresh and that's a new story. That's more mm -hmm. passion. She meets someone new. And yeah, none of those will be sustainable. Just like the relationship she's talked about in the first two movies weren't sustainable. Because that level of, I think passion maybe is the mm -hmm. best word. You just can't keep it up for 10 years. No. Yeah. That's definitely, she's realizing that. And I think she's having trouble adjusting to what this new relationship is. Because it grows and yeah. it changes. Yeah, definitely. And I think it has grown into something comfortable. But while Jesse associates this comfortability with stability and love, she associates it with stagnation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why she's rebelling, but maybe that's just me. She's angry about her place in life and not necessarily him. Yeah. He's just the easiest place to take that out on because she yes. can't yell at her children. No. But I think she knows, maybe not even consciously. I don't think she's saying like, oh, I can yell at him because he'll take it because he loves me. I think maybe subconsciously she knows she can vent to him, on him, mm -hmm. at him, and he's still going to love her. 
Yeah, I think that their relationship has changed, and I think she's just realizing how much it's changed. Maybe having that young couple right there is kind of showing what they had at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I like when close to the end of it, he gets angry at her for just a moment, and he says, if you want true love, this is it. Yeah. That's like maybe my favorite part. I enjoyed that. It is, Mm -hmm. right? That he's going to sit here and be berated and be told that she doesn't love him. And he is going to stick by her because he knows, I think he knows, that she still loves him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's why he goes back when she's sitting by herself and tries to joke through and do the whole time traveler Mm -hmm. thing. I don't think it's because he's scared of losing her, or I guess that is it, but I don't think it's that he loves her but is afraid she doesn't love him. I think Mm -hmm. he knows, and he's just trying to give her what she needs at that moment. Yes. I don't know. It's tough. I agree with that. I think he is trying to give her what she needs at the moment, and he's trying to be like unselfish about it. Yeah, and give her what she needs in the best way he knows how to do it, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a jokey way... And maybe that frustrates her a lot at times. I think so. And I think throughout the first bit of the argument, it is that when he tries to joke or play things off, she's frustrated because she's been dealing with that technique for nine years. Yes, yeah. But at the end, I think she concedes a bit of like, you know what, you're doing your best. Mm -hmm. And she maybe not meets him halfway, but I think at the very end she does. So then at the end... He takes on that time traveler persona with his little letter. Yeah. Do you remember the speech he gives to her to get her to come off the train? Not word for word. But the premise is, imagine your 82-year-old self is writing you a letter. Right. Will it say, oh, I'm glad you didn't do that? Or will she say, like, I wish you took more risks like this? Oh, I love that. And then at the end, (laughs) he comes with the letter from her 82-year-old self saying, essentially, like, give this a chance. You have what you need right here. Yeah. And it might be, like, schmaltzy that they go back to the very first thing. But it wasn't, it's not obvious. No, because I didn't catch on to that. This is the second time I've seen the movie. So I caught it this time because the first time I saw it, it was years and years between the movies. Right. And now we've watched them all in a week. So I was a little more fresh. And I remembered that. And I thought, like, it's just, it's a beautiful bookend for the beginning and the end of this. Mm-hmm. That they go back to that. And they go back to the idea of what would your future self say here? And that's just kind of a great way for both of them to forget everything else. Forget how angry you are and think about the big picture of things. I think so, yeah. And, I, I yeah, I really liked that. So, do you think they are, like, good at the end? I think that like any relationship, you have your things that kind of never go away. But I think overall, their bond is still there. And I think that they're, they're going to be okay. They just, I think, need to give each other a little bit more grace. So do you think ultimately they stay together, though? Yes, I, I believe so. I do, too. And I guess we'll get more personal because apparently I have no secrets. This episode. <laughs> Not from our podcast. <laughs> but the first time I saw this movie, I was like, what a sad way to end this. This is it. They're done. Yeah. Because I was more immature and I was more of the idea of like, that's what romance is. Yeah. The romance is the first movie. And that's just what happened. This movie is 
just the death of all romance. Mm-hmm. And when you're at this point, that's it. You're done. Mm-hmm. I'm a good bit older now. I'm in a relationship <laughs> where we've been together long enough yeah. that it can't all be crazy... Nights in Vienna. Nights in Vienna. And you have to go to the point of, well, what is going to make this sustainable? Mm-hmm. And I think I understand that now. And that's why watching it this time, I'm like, they made it through this. They're going to make it through everything. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. And I think that it shows a nice maturing of the relationship. Because once you're 40 and you have kids and and like you've gone through all of these wild life changes, I think you have to accept the fact that it's not all going to be nights in Vienna. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's all three movies, right? Mm -hmm. There's a maturation through all of them. Mm -hmm. You have that sweep-you-off-your-feet romance of the first one. You have that longing competing with the real world in the second one. Mm -hmm. And then in the third one, we don't have the the sweep-you-off-your-feet nights in Vienna anymore. We have a much more matured idea of what romance is and maybe not maybe romance isn't even the right word because we have certain associations with that but maybe a more mature idea of what love is Mm -hmm. and love is sharing yourself and your life with someone else and i think they do reach that point and i think those moments that we saw in the first two movies are still here and i think the very last little bit of dialogue when they go into the letter from your 82-year-old self, I think that brings it back to show us that, yes, they still have a bit of what they had at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. but it's matured, it's grown, maybe not into something as fun and dramatic and romantic, Mm -hmm. but in something that can stand the test of time. That's what it's all about. Whoa, man. Well, we didn't plan anything for any of these episodes. We did them right off the cuff right (laughs) after. So maybe that's a good place to end. Yeah, I think so. Do you have any final thoughts on the Before trilogy? I think you should watch them. That's my final thought. Like I said, give yourself like a day or two between. Give yourself a little time. Nine years if you can. Nine years if you can. Um, But I think that if you can have a little time to like reflect on it between the movies, it, it definitely improves your screening experience. Yeah, and try to appreciate each movie on its own and then look at it as a whole at the end mm-hmm. is my suggestion. Yeah. We didn't do a lot of the normal things we do in this podcast because I feel like we could talk for an hour and a half just on their argument. Yeah. And we could break it down and go into film stuff and how this one was so different than the other two yeah. as far as how it was shot and things like that. But you know what? I think we're good where, where I think we are. We're good. I think because we don't have to describe the characters at the no. beginning of every movie because we kind of did that at the beginning. Um, I think that that cuts it down a little bit. I never claim to love the third movie. And I'm not sure if I do. I'm not sure if it's my least favorite. Mm-hmm. It might be my least favorite and the best, if that's possible. Oh, okay. But either way, I do think I'm going to come straight ahead and say like i love this trilogy Mm -hmm. there's not much out there like it the fact that they actually take nine years between each one yeah that's crazy and that they let this love grow and deepen and take it to places where i did not expect it to go Mm -hmm. but seems so true to life to who these characters are Mm -hmm. 
It's remarkable filmmaking. And maybe not in the technical sense, but it's remarkable film. And next year, in 2022, would have been nine years. And did you know... Is there another one coming out? I don't know, actually. (laughs) It's like, you can't spring a fourth one on me. (laughs) I have not heard anything, so I don't don't think they should. But I didn't think they should make a second one, so who knows? They would probably surprise me, because, yeah, good films all around. Good films all around. Do you love them? I like them. Okay. I like them quite a bit. I think that's what I said originally. On the first one. On the first one. I like them quite a bit. I do think that they're unique, and I think that people should see them. Well, that brings us to the end of a very strange episode, because it turned out to be three. If this is your first time listening to us, we usually do things quite differently than this. It's a little more structured, and there are no personal stories, because I don't like to share anything. (laughs) And in fact, I'm taking out probably 60% of the stories. I'll keep the one, because I make a reference to it, but I didn't even tell the whole thing, and that's good. Um, yeah, usually, uh, we're also at our home, so it's been a strange week, so it seems fitting that we're gonna make a strange episode. Yeah, normally it sounds better than this as Yeah, well. it's very echoey in this room. Join us next <laughs> week when each of us will have a spoiler review pick of the week, and Samantha will introduce us to the movie we'll be watching the week after that. Yeah, end of February. It's almost birthday month. Oh, yeah. If you don't know, (laughs) Samantha celebrates her birthday for a month. Yes. Um, Okay, well, we'll see you next week. And uh, everyone get ready. For birth month. (laughs) No, for the next episode. Oh, yeah, that too. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.